I'm Elias Recanati. I was born in Salonica, Greece on March 30, 1932. My mother's family was uh, Spanish. And uh, it was agreed between the Spaniards and the Germans that uh, my mother, my brother and myself would be spared if the Spaniards would give us a visa to go to Spain. Uh, however, in order for us to be able to achieve this, we had to escape from Salonika into Athens. to Those Who Were There, Voices from the Holocaust, a podcast that draws on recorded interviews from Yale University's Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies. I'm Eleanor Risa. Elias Reconati's family had lived in Salonika for generations, along with tens of thousands of other Sephardic Jews. His mother was a housewife, and his father owned a shop that sold stylish Borsellino hats. It was a shop that his father had inherited from his father. The family lived in a comfortable corner house with a large courtyard where they grew vegetables and sometimes showed films for the neighborhood children. Elias grew up speaking Greek and Ladino, or Judeo-Spanish. Most of the Jews in Salonika traced their ancestry back to Spain before their expulsion in 1492. Four and a half centuries later, German occupying forces in Greece were about to deport Salonika's Jewish community to extermination camps in Poland. It is now April 14, 1992, and 60-year-old Elias Reconati is being interviewed by Naomi Rappaport at the offices of the Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York City. Elias is seated against a black backdrop and is wearing a stylish dark suit, maroon patterned tie, and lightly tinted aviator glasses. He continues with the story of how he and his mother and brother began their perilous journey to safety. We were supposed to escape with the help of the uh, guerrilla organization from Salonika to Athens while all these formalities for us to go to Spain were being uh, processed. In the meanwhile, we had already received the proper papers from the Germans uh, saying that when our street gets deported, uh, we should be left in our house. And every other day or every few days, uh, you would hear that uh, last night more people were deported, last night more people were deported. So they were coming closer and closer to our street. So the time came for our street to be deported. Uh, actually, there were Jewish policemen or collaborators uh, 
and uh, Greek policemen and the German uh, policemen that were going into uh, house by house to make sure that everybody got out. The people that came to pick up, you know, to say get out from the house, couldn't believe their eyes when they saw the orders from the Germans uh, saying that we were allowed uh, to stay. Uh, my father didn't go. He just hid in the basement. And after everybody left, uh, he disappeared and he went uh, to my uh, mother's cousin. Now, in the meanwhile, later on, this uh, guerrilla person did come did pick us up to escape us into Athens. We were with false passports. I was supposed to be a Greek worker that was working in Germany and was coming home for vacation to Athens. And I was supposed to be 18 years old. So and how old you, were you? I was 10. So you can imagine I mean, uh, if I were 16 and I was 18, maybe I would look a young 18. But uh, certainly I could never look 18 at 10. Uh, so it was a very, very scary two days until we arrived in Athens. How long were you in Athens? Well, uh, in Athens, uh, only a few months uh, until we completed the formalities to go to Spain. And uh, actually to go to Spain, we went on Spanish passport. We left Athens on a military train. Uh, we were the only civilians on that train. And by we, I mean my mother, my brother, myself, and uh, one of my mother's brothers was allowed to come and accompany us. Now, what kind of train? Military. This well, was what military? What uh, German military mm -hmm. train, mm -hmm. full of German soldiers mm -hmm. that were being moved. Uh, the train uh, was like a regular train uh, with small compartments, and we were given one compartment. Did they know you were Jewish or they knew well, you were Greek? They did not know we were Jewish. They knew we were Spanish mm -hmm. because we were traveling on a Spanish passport. Mm -hmm. uh, where did the train take you to? Well, uh, the train took us from Athens, destined to Madrid, making a number of stops in between. Our first stop was Belgrade. Now, when we left, the Spanish ambassador in uh, Athens, this gentleman who was a personal friend of my uncle, told my uncle, look, I have a letter to send to Madrid. I really should send it to Berlin. But if it goes to Berlin, it will not go any further. I want this letter to go to Madrid to the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs because I'm asking instructions as to what my attitude should be if the Germans start bothering the Spanish Jews in Athens the way they did in Salonika. 
And the Spanish ambassador in Berlin is very anti-Semitic. He's just going to hold the letter. It will not go any further. Would you take this letter for us, for me, to Madrid, which we did. And uh, while we were proceeding in the train, uh, knowing the contents of the letter and expecting that there would be a lot of uh, passport controls and customs controls, Somehow my uncle thought that it would be wiser to put that letter away, uh, to hide it somewhere. So both uh, my uncle and my brother uh, were each carrying a sort of a vanity case. And uh, my mother pulled out of my brother's vanity case the mirror. The mirror was really padded with fabric, so she tore the fabric away it, at the seams, put the letters and sewed back the fabric so it would not be visible at all. So we continued uh, the train rides from Athens to Belgrade. We got off in Belgrade and uh, we had to spend overnight there in order to continue the journey. So the procedure was that you went to the uh, German commandatur and they would give you tickets to take a taxi, they would uh, allocate a hotel, they would give you tickets for the hotel and then again tickets to come back by taxi the next uh, morning to the station which we did, and uh, we waited for another lady to come and meet us there. She was the wife of the first secretary of the Spanish embassy in Athens, and she was also traveling in Madrid. So she came, we met her, we went to the train station, we boarded the train, and our next stop overnight is supposed to be Vienna. So a little before we arrived Vienna, there is again the passport control and the customs control. And uh, the fellow that came to inspect our luggage, first thing he did is pick up the vanity case. First thing he did is pick up the mirror from the case. The first thing he did is palpitate with his fingers on the padding of the uh, vanity mirror. The case, however, was my uncle's case, so he couldn't feel anything. So he continued examining very, very carefully the rest of our luggage. And while he was very, very busy doing that, my brother picked up his case and walked it over to the compartment of the wife of the uh, secretary who would not be inspected traveling on a diplomatic passport. Now, a German officer, he was a passenger on the train, really, saw my brother do that. And after the inspector finished, he told the inspector what my brother did. So the inspector went to the compartment of that lady. Uh, he picked up the case, brought it back into our compartment, 
and in fact found the letter. Immediately he goes, Juden. I don't know how my mother uh, got the courage to say, no, no Juden. So the man says, Arian. So she says, yes, Arian. Whether this saved us or not, I have no idea. He started re-inspecting everything again. He picked up every single piece of paper he found in our luggage. And he left. And from that moment on, we were living in fear. You know, what's going to happen to us? He's going to read this letter. So... During the course of the day that we spent in Vienna, my uncle went over to the Spanish embassy to relate what have hap- what happened and uh, to see if we could expect any sort of protection from uh, the ambassador there. And the answer was totally negative. You did something you shouldn't have done. Uh, don't expect any help from me. I remember that my uncle was saying, we have cyanide in our suitcase, anything happens, they come to pick us up and we're going to take it. So the next morning, we said we're going to leave the hotel very, very early in the hopes that maybe if they come looking for us in the hotel, we won't be there, we'll be at the station, which we did. We boarded the train And again, the next overnight stop is in Paris. We felt a little bit better, but being on French soil, knowing the language, once we went back the next morning to the railroad station, we boarded the train for uh, the Spanish border. So we arrived at the frontier and... Uh, the Spaniards were amazed to see that we were allowed by the Spaniards to go to Madrid. Actually, uh, all the Jews that escaped uh, into Spain by going through the mountains were not allowed to go to Madrid. And as a matter of fact, uh, the man at the border had to call up the ministry in Madrid to inquire, you know, I have this Jewish family, well, what's going on? Is it true that they may proceed to Madrid? He got assurance that we could. And, uh, well, during the day, uh, we were having lunch somewhere at a restaurant, and we felt that there are people still watching us. And we were wondering, you know, who are these people? I mean, we're no longer in Germany. What, uh, what's the matter? Why are they still watching us? How can they harm us here? It turned that these people were people from the joint that uh, were there for the special purpose of seeing, you know, which Jews are uh, going through the border and uh, do they need any financial help or not? Uh, they offered us the help. How long were you in Madrid? Uh, in Madrid, again, we stayed uh, only a few months. And uh, we left for two reasons. Uh, as we learned from the joint, uh, when we went to seek financial help, 
the Spaniards wanted the Americans to evacuate Spain from all the Jews that were there. Uh, the Americans were saying that, well, we're at war, how can we do that? You find the ship and we will pay for it. And uh, apparently there was a sort of, sort of stalemate. And then my uncle, who knew the people at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, one of the top people there was an ex-ambassador to Greece, and he knew him. Uh, he started again picking up the negotiations. And eventually two ships were found, and uh, one convoy, one uh, group went to Canada, and we elected to go to Palestine because uh, my uncle being in Cairo, and uh, when we went to the British consulate in Madrid to apply for the visa to go to Palestine, they were so amazed to look at the passport that we presented to them uh, that they asked to keep the passport in order to duplicate all these visas for their own uh, spying purposes. Uh, they asked for my mother and my uncle to write a long expose of everything that uh, they saw along the way as to how the tunnels are guarded, how the trains are guarded, which they used for their own intelligence uh, operations. Uh, because uh, I'm sure there was no one else that had traveled in the open uh, throughout the occupied Europe. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, how long were you in, in uh, Palestine? Well, in Palestine we thought we would be a very short period of time, uh, just enough time to what get year, the visa. What year was this? 1944. Mm -hmm. Where in Palestine? Uh, in Tel Aviv. Uh, we took almost one year to obtain the visa to go from Palestine to Cairo, and we did go to Cairo for a few months until uh, June 45, when the war ended. And how did you get to uh, Cairo? Well, uh, once we had the visa to go to Cairo, we went by train from Tel Aviv to uh, Cairo. We stayed in Cairo at my uncle's uh, house again for a few months. Once the war ended in 45, uh, the Greeks organized the boat, the Greek government organized the boat to repatriate all the Greeks that had escaped. And we went back uh, to Athens to resume uh, life, uh, to resume life in a way that we did not expect, uh, because then is when we learned that all those people that were in the concentration camps, uh, their fate, what happened. So we, are, uh, we were totally destitute, and uh, we lived in my grandmother's house with my grandmother. Uh, we were very happy, you know, originally to, to go back, except for, uh, for what we learned and what we found uh, about the people that didn't return. You know, things go through your mind uh, like a movie sometimes, and uh, sometimes it's hard to, to tell, you know, what scene is uh, the more dramatic or the most vivid. Is there anything else that you would like to add to, to this? 
I think this portrays pretty accurately, you know, the events of one family. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are a million other stories with a million varieties mm -hmm. of uh, how the miracle of being saved happened, mm -hmm. really, because uh, it's in a way a miracle. Uh, one last question. I, I know that you have a brother. Uh, do you talk about this at all? No, this, not really. Reminisce? Not, not no. really, no. No, I don't think I've spoken to anybody. Uh, sometimes my mother might mention something. Uh, I, I think it's a subject that is placed in the background. I think we are at a time which might be that we are all too tired from it. his mother and brother escaped from Salonika, Elias's father was deported to a concentration camp in Poland. Elias later learned that his father had been killed. Before the war, there were 55,000 Jews in Salonika. After the war, only 2,000 Jews remained in what had been the center of Jewish life in Greece. More than 80% of Greece's centuries-old Jewish population had been murdered, the highest percentage relative to population of any country. In 1951, Elias, his mother and brother, left Greece for the United States. They settled first in Cleveland, Ohio. Elias started college, but dropped out, first working as a shoe salesman then at a bank. After one bitter Midwestern winter, the family moved to New York City where Elias attended New York University. He got his master's degree in business administration and worked for the next four decades at the Maritime Overseas Corporation, rising to vice president by the time he retired in 1999. Elias lives with his second wife on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He has a son and two grandchildren. To learn more about Elias Reconati, please visit our companion website at thosewhowerethere.org. It includes episode notes, a full transcript, and archival photographs. That's where you can also find our previous episodes, as well as background information on the Fortune Off Video Archive and the Museum of Jewish Heritage. Those Who Were There is a production of the Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies, which is housed at the Yale University Library's Manuscripts and Archives Department in New Haven, Connecticut. This second season is a co-production with the Museum of Jewish Heritage, A Living Memorial to the Holocaust, New York's contribution to the global responsibility to never forget. The museum is committed to the crucial mission of educating diverse visitors about Jewish life before, during, and after the Holocaust. 
This podcast is produced by Nahani Rouse, Eric Marcus, the Fortune Off Archives director Stephen Naren, and Trevor Walsh, Collections Project Manager at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. Thank you to audio engineer John Gordon. Thanks as well to Christy Bailey Tomachek, Joanna Aruda, Noah Guto Ellis, and Inga Detaya for their assistance. And thank you to Sam Cassow for historical oversight and to photo editor Michael Green, genealogist Michael LeClerc, and our social media producers, including Christiana Pena, Nick Porter, and Sarah Barber. Leova Gerbine composed our theme music. Thank you as well to Elias Reconati for providing archival photographs and background information. Special thanks to the Fortunoff family and other donors to the archive for their financial support. I'm Eleanor Risa. Thank you for listening. Music